Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. It's a real pleasure to welcome you. Whether you're a pastor, an elder, a volunteer, involved in ministry in your local church, Ministry in Motion is designed for you. Our topic today is a very serious one, the perils of power. And our special guest presenter or guest here on Ministry in Motion is Dr. Bill Knott. Bill Knott is the editor and executive publisher of Adventist World and Adventist Review. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on Ministry in Motion. The perils of power. Mm. You know, when we think about power, we, we often are exposed to it in the cultural setting. Yes. And that flavors our understanding of power. And the, the cultural world around us is full of examples of power badly used. Exactly. Uh, not just political power or military power, but even influential power. As we are in the process of recording this one, there's a major story that's been roiling the news world for the last four days about a leading television anchor who misrepresented his story apparently in order to gain more influence and now has lost it almost entirely. Exactly. Almost discredited among his peers and among the millions of people who had paid attention to him. Because again, misunderstanding what power is intended to do uh, in the life of people. The peril is, is, is a knife edge that individuals, especially in ministry, walk. And we often, way too often, succumb to those cultural norms that say, get more for yourself, get more around me, feel safe, protect yourself from threat, mm. all of which are anything but the impulses of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, looking at some of the, the political powers yeah. that are around, the, the way that they throw it around and control it. It truly is frightening and it must be frightening for, for many people, particularly Christians that are living in, in such difficult places. Political power is built on the premise that in a truly democratic and open environment, people participate and choose what they want. But those environments are increasingly rare in our world today. Mm. We are coerced by not only political and military pressures, but by media into moving in directions and disliking one group or liking another group based on what someone else tells us we ought to think. And so we find ourselves frequently having difficulty navigating what, how to relate to those authorities, those powerful entities in our world, whether they're cultural or religious, mm. or sometimes even in our own faith communities. Exactly. And when we look at, Jesus didn't leave this, this power management oh, unaddressed. No. We, we know the story in, in Mark 10 when two of his disciples yeah. came to us. What, what, what are some of the essential things that, that we can glean from this? When, when Jesus says to his disciples, you are not to be like the Gentiles, he was not disrespecting the Gentiles. He was drawing a distinction between the values of the kingdom of heaven and what was normative mm. for the world of his time and frankly for ours as well. And expected by his disciples. And expected by his disciples, who by the way were constantly seeking to rank each other. Yeah. Each, according to the text in numerous citations, trying to figure out which of them was closest to him and would thus be given the greater seat in his heavenly mm. kingdom. Mm. 
the reality that Jesus was establishing is that the norms of kingdom power are nothing like the norms of political and cultural power. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, it's only when we attempt by his spirit to cleanse our minds of the thinking we inherit from that cultural and political world will we begin to enter into truly gospel values about how power ought to be exercised in a faith community. Exactly. So Jesus was really calling therefore a, a, a break in that cultural management of power. This ought not to be so among you, he yes. says. It's a complete, clear reversal of a, of a cultural expectation. So much so that servants, slaves yes. are the phrases that he chooses yes. to use, yes. which is, if you were reading it for the first time, it would truly be shocking. We've grown accustomed to the language because, oh, we're all to be servants and we've read books on servant leadership and it, it's now become like wallpaper to mm. us. But the reality was Jesus was uttering an utterly radical pronouncement about authority in his kingdom yeah. and comparing those who would be at the top of the authority structure in his kingdom to those currently at the bottom of the political and cultural world. Yeah. You know, Bill, this can be a, a challenge um, in the church setting too, because often our positions of power are identified by terms of power. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, for instance, the, the leading person isn't necessarily called servant one or right. slave one. Yes. How, how do we, I guess, distance the, the title from the actual activity? It takes a conscious effort on the part of the ministry leader to invest the name of their office with new meaning in the minds of those served and led. Mm -hmm. We have to constantly be saying to those we serve, because my title is pastor or elder or ministry leader, do not expect me therefore to be having line authority over this group of individuals. I am not here to tell this group of people what God wants them to do. I'm here to discover with them what God wants us to do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, with, with this power that we, we do have and that each Christian has in, in some leadership capacity, as Maxwell says, you know, leadership is all about influence. Yes. We, we all have an influence over those around us. An important part of that is accountability, isn't oh, it? Absolutely. That in fact, accountability requires us to go out and seek honest individuals that we deliberately bring close to ourselves who can tell us when we are either in danger of or actually abusing the influence God has placed in our hands. Mm. It is it is a mark of a gifted and truly godly leader to go out and invite that kind of critique into their ministry, to find that honest soul or that group of persons who can say, Bill, um, we've been watching how you've been leading, the way you've been handling our decision-making processes. In all kindness, Bill, that doesn't sound like something Jesus would say or do. And we want to call that to your attention, not to not to criticize you or to destroy your influence, but because we want you to become a better servant mm. of the group that all of us participate in. Exactly. I'd like to pursue this concept of accountability and yeah. how it meshes together with power. Yeah. But we've got to take a break, sure. but we'll be right back with more of Ministry in Motion. Mm. 
Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is the perils of power and our guest, Dr. Bill Knott. Bill, just before the break, we started talking about the, the benefits of accountability in power and the, the, the way we use power. Mm -hmm. Talk to us some more about that. I, as I've watched effective ministry leaders, spiritual men and women over a number of decades now, I've watched those who succeed the most are those who deliberately go out and invite candid souls to come around them and help them honestly think about how they are exercising power and influence in the ministry community they serve. Those who don't invite that criticism, in my experience, almost inevitably grow visibly arrogant before their ministries conclude. Arrogance is a frightening word. It's a frightening word, but quite frankly, it applies, unfortunately, to too many of us. Yeah. Because in our alienation and in our isolation, we get used to listening only to our own thinking about power. And inside of us, the scripture tells us, inside of each of us is a sinful desire for more power, mm. for control over other individuals. That is the mystery of iniquity at work in us. So that we have to have around us those who help us understand our proclivity to seek and acquire and gain power over others. And we have to give them permission. We have to empower them to talk with us candidly, knowing that they won't lose their status with us by being candid, that in fact it is their candor we prize the most. Mm. That requires an individual who is deliberately seeking to model their ministry, not along some political or cultural norm, but to say, how did Jesus serve? How did Jesus go about bringing people into his circle? He alone among human beings did not suffer with this lust for power. He constantly empowered and gave away authority and influence to others mm. instead of gathering it to himself and left, left us an amazing model of how he intended his church to function. Mm. One, one piece of writing that has been particularly seminal in my thinking about this is a piece we published in Adventist Review uh, just almost to, about a year ago now in March of 2014. We took the occasion to publish an article, Serving Like Jesus. And uh, you'll find a link to it on, uh, on the website, Ministry in Motion website and on the Adventist Review website. It is probably, in my estimation, the clearest and briefest explanation of gospel values as it comes to power and influence. Um, Give us a synopsis. That in fact, it explores this language of slave and servant that you already alluded to, that Jesus was radically upsetting the political and cultural norms of his culture and says that in fact, Jesus is urging his disciples to cleanse their thinking of these norms and to practice on each other the models of servanthood which he practiced on them. The, the washing of each other's feet, in my estimation, was not intended to be only a preliminary to the service of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. It was in fact a symbol and an ongoing symbol among the life of his disciples for their attitudes toward each other. I had a fascinating experience on this one some years ago in which an individual that was going to be joining my work team, mm -hmm. uh, I was then visiting in the place where they were then serving, and we had an opportunity to wash each other's feet wow. in preparation for celebrating communion together. I sought him out 
before the, the evening service and I said, I need to do this. We're going to be placed working alongside each other for the next number of years. I need to remember this moment when I knelt down here on the floor and washed your feet because there are going to be moments, I am sure, when I don't feel like that. Mm. When our natural human tendencies, I'll become abrasive or you'll be wounded by something or you say something I don't understand. That's going to keep happening, especially in a close ministry working environment. I need the memory of having washed your feet. And I will tell you that memory has helped me so many times. I have thanked him many times since because of that moment we shared years ago, which has actually been foundational to our ability to work together and support each other in a ministry team. That's a, it's a powerful image. And what, what an incredible God that we have oh, yeah. that has given us that enduring experience that, that really teaches us so much about power. Yeah. But one thing I'd, I'd like to pursue a little more with you yeah. is when we divest ourselves of power, we, yeah. we share it around. How do we stop ourselves from being vulnerable to manipulation and control? Sure. Um, and it, 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 this is where godly wisdom is required and continual prayer to make sure that we are in fact building around ourselves a, a community of safety, mm -hmm. both for those we serve and for ourselves. Yeah. And that means that we, we measure out vulnerability until we know that trust is reciprocated, mm. that confidentiality is expected, that it is normative in this community. One of the things I frequently say when God leads me to a new relationship and we're defining what, what this friendship is going to mean, I deliberately say the words, this is a safe place. I want the memory of having spoken those words because I need that lest I ever get tempted to speak out of turn about something that came up in this environment. I need to remember myself saying to them, pledging to them, this is a safe place. What you say here will stay here. It will not be used to minimize you or manipulate you. Mm. Also, that individual needs that trusting relationship that they can say, Bill, here's an area I want to grow in, knowing that it's not going to appear on the front cover of the Adventist Review the next week. Yeah. That, yeah. for some individuals in my particular role, is a bit of a fear that they're going to get quoted or <laughs> something's going to get said. So I have to probably work a little harder than some others do to assure individuals this is a place of safety. I think, frankly, though, it's a role that all of us own as ministry mm -hmm. leaders. How do we communicate a safe environment and how do we know to recognize that we are in that safe environment where we can honestly share something that is for growth without risking the very existence of our ministry. You know, your, your, your comments there, I, I couldn't help but go back to Mark chapter 10. Yes. Because Jesus himself put that safety arena around those two disciples. Absolutely. As you were talking there, I'm thinking, how would those disciples have genuinely felt if they were, if their request to Jesus on the, the seats of power and position were given to them yeah. and they're unworthy of it, yes. how would they have really felt in the end? Like it, it would be destroying. Humiliating. Them. Exactly. And in a, in a culture that worried a great deal about shame would have been incredibly shameful. Exactly. Jesus protected them by not answering their carnal request for power. Yeah. He exhibited a servant attitude toward them by not giving them mm -hmm. what they wanted. Exactly. Because what they wanted wasn't edifying, wasn't mm -hmm. going to build them up. And that's where, as a ministry leader, 
we sometimes recognize those individuals in our ministry setting who are seeking power for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways. Mm -hmm. And part of our role is to come alongside them and protect them in some cases from themselves, even as we protect the rest of the ministry community. Exactly. Now, I'd love to come back with you. We've got a break coming up now. But talk about the, the importance of egalitarian relationships okay. and, and that important topic. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is The Perils of Power, and our guest is Dr. Bill Knott, the executive publisher and editor of Adventist Review and Adventist World. Bill, talk to us about the, the value and the possibilities that come with the e equality of power and power distribution. I'm fascinated when I look at the Apostle Paul, who describes how Jesus has reformed his people, how he has taken them away from the cultural norms in the way power was distributed and reformed that notion in their minds so that Paul can say there's neither Jew nor Greek. There are, in fact, no ethnic privileges in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. There's neither slave nor free. There's no economic privileges. There's not even gender privileges in Paul's vision that all are, in fact, one in Jesus Christ. And he lays out for us succinctly and usually in the, the latter portion of each of his epistles, we find that invitation to the egalitarian community that is, in fact, I think what Paul really wanted individuals to get. The theology he articulates in the opening chapters of those epistles is designed to find its expression in the way of life he communicates in the latter portions of those epistles. And that's invariably a community of egalitarian relationships in which we consciously seek to not build structures where I rule over you, mm. I have authority over your judgment, I command you to do things that are not in concert with what the Spirit is telling you. It takes work to disabuse ourselves of those kinds of norms that are out there and to say, I choose, I covenant, Anthony, to be in a relationship with you in which we consciously seek to not take power and accumulate it to ourselves. Mm. One of the most effective ministers I have known in my career was an individual who created this presence of safety around him all the time. He was probably, by title, one of the least powerful persons I had ever known. And yet if I shared his name, and I'm not going to with you, you would instantly recognize him as an individual of some of the greatest influence in our particular faith community over the last few decades because he was constantly empowering the person who sat with him, seeking their best, asking them, drawing out of them lessons they could learn and could learn safely in his presence. As he gave away power, he gained enormous ministry influence. Say his name in some communities and you will literally see people start to weep mm. because their memories of having been blessed by that man's ministry are so, so vivid. I'm one of those mm. because he, what he did repeatedly in the hours I spent with him is empower me, affirm me, help me understand my role as part of this faith community and thus helped me grow into what God was calling me to be. 
Wow, what you're describing there is really the, the ministry of power sharing. It, it, it is a ministry. Exactly. It, it, and in fact, he went about it consciously. He had had training in this, and sometimes that's what it takes to move us off our cultural norms. It's a wonderful story of a, a colleague sharing and distributing power. Bill, I was just wondering, um, modeling appropriate spiritual power, mm, yeah. would you like to share a few insights on that? This is one of the real challenges because in most of us, when we walk into especially a new ministry setting, we're feeling a bit alienated and isolated and we think, I need more influence. And our hearts tell us we need more control. Mm. And so we go and acquire it in the usual ways. We influence this individual, get this one, lobby here, get, get the political forces lined up, and we take the votes and we win the votes and we get the momentum toward our objective. And we are doing it, forgive me, just like the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Because this is exactly the system Jesus said, don't follow. Mm. This ought not to be so among you. That a minister has to walk in, and I use minister as anybody in ministry. Sure a leader, volunteer, pastor, a minister has to walk into a situation and deliberately de-escalate the, the power ex expectations of his or her role. Constantly be referring to themselves as, I am here as a facilitator and a coordinator of this group of people so that together we will make godly decisions and live godly lives as the people of faith in this community. And that means demythologizing our own roles. Mm. Instead of accumulating the power that comes with being the senior pastor of a large congregation and pronouncing things at the 11 o'clock hour, we have to say, friends, I'm standing here as an individual who has the privilege, because of my schedule, of spending more time studying the Word than maybe you have been able to this week, but no more authoritative then the Word of God is authoritative. Mm, mm. That is, God's Word is at work in my life, I'm sharing it with you, and God's Spirit is going to take these words and somehow make them live in your life. I want to hear back from you, though. Mm. I want, it is our interaction as a community of faith gathered around the Word that is what God is seeking, not the vertical delivery of my content to your ears. That, that word community looms large there, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, so we're, we're, this, this concept of equality, egalitarianism, living in community, bonded together with the horizontal ties yes. rather than the vertical ties. I, one of the books that was very formative for me as a young pastor was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Mm -hmm. That phrase alone has become vivid in my own life and mind because Bonhoeffer, in a series of lectures he, he developed for the underground Finkenwald Seminary during Nazi Germany's era, lays out what life together looks like. Mm. If you haven't read it, wonderful opportunity to look again from another faith perspective, a different one than my own, what a faith community lives like that is trying to practice these gospel values, trying not to accumulate power, trying to share it, trying to give it away, trying to empower each other. I, he wouldn't claim, no one would claim who saw that, that they did it perfectly but they were onto something rich and important in that they were deliberately modeling their community after gospel norms instead of political or cultural norms. Wow, yeah. wow. Thanks so much for your insights. Um, everyone from Dietrich Bonhoeffer right through to Jesus, yes. that, that Mark chapter 10 passage, right. powerful passage and it. it's a wonderful 
you know, record of, of one we need to go back to often, exactly. again and again. Probably exactly. ought to be read at the beginning, middle, and end of every ministry opportunity. Exactly. Thanks so much, Bill. Sure. And we want to thank you for joining us for another program of Ministry in Motion where we've explored the perils of power. We'd love to hear from you. Come and visit our website. There you'll find a vast array of resources, all the programs that's ever been broadcast with our friends here on Hope Channel are available 24-7 free of charge for you and anyone else who'd like to visit our website. Your ministry, it matters to us. We pray for you and may God richly bless your ministry where you are.